Miracy. Because anybody that has anything great in life, you're going to be tested. You're going to be challenged. And when you are, you're going to have to have something deeper you pull from, something that's beyond just this immediate moment. And that only comes from what you know you have done to prepare for this moment. And that's what I call that dark work. Ever found yourself pondering how to shatter the self-imposed barriers holding your coaching clients back? And while you're at it, how about sculpting your own journey as a coach and entrepreneur, forging a mindset that thrives on growth and empowerment? I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. Are you ready to make the shift happen in your clients' lives? Of course you are. And today's guest is an expert in identity transformation, guiding his clients from working in the dark to triumphing in the light. So keep listening. We're deep diving into personal growth and transformation. Today, I've invited Anthony Trucks, former NFL player turned transformational identity shift coach. He's the founder of the Shift Method and Shift Business Blueprint. He's a best-selling author, global keynote speaker, and fortune business consultant and renowned coach. He's known for his expertise in personal development and identity transformation. And in addition to his coaching work, Anthony is also a fellow podcaster. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, would you mind sharing just a little bit of your background? How come identity transformation is at the core of your coaching business? I think it's the core of all of us. I think one thing is at the core of me for sure. For me growing up as a kid, I was given away at three years old in foster care. So a lot of my life was me not knowing who I am, where I fit. And we've all had those moments of like, gosh, am I in the right place? Am I going in the right direction? Am I supposed to be doing this? So I journeyed through that whole thing. I was adopted at 14 after 11 years in a foster care system by a very poor all-white family, having to navigate kind of me and its whole world, we'll call it, of how I fit in. And I kind of found myself within the process. But in that same journey, I was introduced to new parts of life. And so part of it was football. I loved the game. Wasn't very good in the beginning. Had to find a way to get good at it. And then you're introduced to new identities as you go through the journey. I'm not very good. I'm very good. Get a college scholarship. Go to college, I'm introduced to even more. Have a kid at 20 years old in college. I don't recommend that to people. <laughs> He's awesome. Now he goes to college at the school he was born at, which is the University of Oregon. Then I went and played in college, from college in the NFL. NFL, I, my third year, tore my shoulder, came home, had a massive identity crisis. Whenever you wake up one day and you can no longer do what you used to do, you're faced with this internal, like, crazy question of, well, who am I and what value do I bring to the world? And I had that. It was like a, a tough one. And people have this if, you leave the military, you leave sports, you start a new job, you leave an old job, you start a new business, sell your business, your kids go to college. Like we're always faced with these life moments of what do I do now? I can't do what I used to do. And it took me to a dark hole. I, at one point was my wife and I got divorced, had three kids and life was not good. I went through, I call the dark times and eventually, and thankfully found myself in a situation where I could finally wake up to who I was and more so who I wanted to be. And that was tied to what I wanted to have. And through a journey of my own, I found this pathway because that was a big question is, who am I? I still ask the question. I have way more answers than I used to, but I also have more of a clear path of how to not just do it for myself or for others. 
I love that you talk about the darkness, the dark place that you went to. A lot of people, they only let their immediate close confidants, often not even family members, in on that dark night of the soul, some people call it, that dark hole as you described it. And so I love that you're forthcoming and talking about that. One of the things that I've come to learn, I had a mentor and the way she described it, it really landed for me. From rupture leads to rapture if we make the journey. And that really landed for me. And I did at first, I was like, what the heck? I don't want to dive into rupture. I don't want to go there. But I really learned that when we allow ourselves to be in that dark place, to acknowledge it, not get lost in it, we really find out a lot about ourselves that we would not otherwise come aware of. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I think the good language people put around that is called the shadow work. And it's different than dark work. You can be in the dark, which is that dark, heavy, not very fun. I call it the fog kind of place where you just get up and you go through the motions. You're, you're living life, but you're not really alive in your life. That makes sense. And so there's a place you can be there. But most people don't know why they're there. They're just there going, why am I stuck here? And what you're alluding to is the idea of having to go into that place and figure out what it is, which is what's called shadow work. I need to look into my shadows and really find out what in the heck is going on. Why am I experiencing this? And I find that we are all in our lives. We're the common denominator in all of our problems. And so it's looking into your area and going, where do I land as a common denominator in this problem that either I created or I'm allowing? And so that's kind of the shadow work. Dark work is what you do once you know what that shadow work is. And the dark work is the things that you do that are they're behind closed doors. They're not seen by the world. They're not cheered on by the masses. It's not fun. It's very difficult. Oftentimes, people will misunderstand what exactly you're doing. Why are you doing that? Or they'll even ridicule you. Oh, you're stupid for thinking you can do that, right? But it's the person who leans into that stuff that has those those long nights, those you know, glowing of the computer to learn a course in the middle of the night to be able to get an education, to get a better job, to raise their family. It's the person who is you know hunkered away in the weight room, preparing their body for some physical test they're going to have. It's the person who's working on themselves and taking walks and meditating to be able to build themselves. They can be better in their marriage. It's the things that nobody sees that does allow them later on to shine in the light, meaning you step into the world. The world now sees you and you can shine brighter. You have a better skill set. You have a better mentality. And I think you come to life with this really interesting, I call it dark work mentality of, I've done too much work in the dark to lose in the light. Because anybody that has anything great in life, you're going to be tested. You're going to be challenged. And when you are, you're going to have to have something deeper you pull from, something that's beyond just this immediate moment. And that only comes from what you know you have done to prepare for this moment. And that's what I call that dark work. Now that, I just, I really want that to land because that dark work mentality, I've done too much work in the dark to not let it come to the light. Is that how you described it? Uh, Yeah, too much work in the dark to lose in the light. To lose in the light. Yeah. I love that because the nature of the journey of transformation and the work with the coach, it's messy. Oh, yeah. It has to be messy because we have to undo a lot. We have to rethink different things. We have to show up in new and different ways. We have to discover those new identities. Yeah. So it is a messy, messy journey. And it is extremely uncomfortable. And so I love that as kind of a driving mantra. Yeah an affirmation that says, I've done too much work here to lose there. So I'm going to keep going. It just keeps that commitment. How do you work with your coaching clients when they are in that, the messy messiness of it all to keep them going? Yeah. 
I think Robin Sharma, he framed it up pretty well. And he says, it's hard in the beginning, it's messy in the middle, but beautiful at the end. And I've always loved that language. It might've been one of the only few things I've heard from not obviously it's an amazing mind, but he's so many cool things he says. And so for me, I, I let people know that when we start out, look, a lot of people in our world today, we are conditioned for the immediate gratification. You know, it's like, how fast can I get this food that's on my phone to my house through DoorDash? You know, how quickly can I get this thing done? And I go, the age old people that we admire, the, the athletes we admire, the business people we admire, they don't microwave success. It's baked, you know, it's slow. It's a long process. And so what I'm trying to get people to do is fall back in love with the gritty, almost like, like just hard stuff you did and find that to be sexy. Because if you can love the process, if you can love that, everything actually is beautiful. And that messy middle is real. You start the journey with this idea of how great it's going to be at the end, but you don't realize that the middle is a hard part. And what you do in the middle is you don't think about everything else outside. You think about this moment here and going, there's a purpose for it. There's a purpose for this moment. I can't think about always crossing the finish line. I can't think about where I was at. I can't even think about anything more than just this moment, the next step, just one more step. And if I focus on the single step and the beauty of the step and, and what it's doing for me now, it gets me closer and closer. And then here's the cool part about it. In the beginning, it's hard to do, right? Like the first few steps, they're hard. After a while, you get to, they call that runner's high, you know? And you almost settle in this beautiful space of like, it just feels normalized. And then by the time you cross that finish line, you could go farther if you wanted to. So for a lot of people in that little space, I go, just, I need you to stay in the pocket because the journey of this is all going to be hard, but eventually it becomes hard not to do. As an example, let's say you're a person that wants to work out. You want to get in better shape. And I bring clients through a, a fitness routine, right? Well, when they get started, like it's excited, I'm going to lose weight. And then they get in like, this sucks. This is a crazy workout. My body's sore. I don't want to do this, right? But we get to that third week of it. Now, all of a sudden, it's like it's a little bit easier. It's still hard a little bit. We get to that sixth, seven, eight, ninth week. Here's the interesting thing that happens. You've done it so much that you feel like, like it's normalized. Now part of who you are to where in the beginning it was hard to get up and go to the thing. But now when you go to the gym, you're moving more weights. You got your better shape. Your lungs are better. You're high-fiving people. It's hard not to go to the gym. In the beginning, you couldn't imagine on week two getting back up because you didn't, I don't want to find my shoes. What's a good excuse not to go? Now they can't drag you out of that place. You're spending an extra two hours there, you know? That's the journey for everybody when you lean into that dark work because the dark work is not meant to always be drudgery. It's a preparation period. It's the window when you're getting better. So when you step out, you can look in the mirror and people go, hey, Susan, have you lost weight? Heck yeah, I have. Like that kind of feelings we want for you later. Now, a lot of our listeners, all of our listeners, they have their own business or they're working with their own clientele. What would you share with coaches as they're working with their clients in this dark work and having to go through it themselves? How do they navigate that simultaneous experience? Well, I'm a systems guy. So my big thing is you need to remove the emotion as best you can. I need people to remove themselves from how they feel about the thing they have to do or the journey somebody's on and go, what does the system say I have to do? The best coaches in the world have processes. Here's what I do. Here's how I do it. What day one looks like, day two looks like. We don't stray. We stay the path. Now, I can analyze it later and make tweaks, but not in the middle of it. And so what you'll find, you're going to be in these pockets where you're going to not maybe want to do something or you're going to. You don't want to push someone to make them uncomfortable, but I go, but that's what the plan says. So we got to do that. And you may have a thing where you maybe don't have the best day, but it says you got to show up today and be the best for them. You got to show up and be the best for them. And what we find in this journey is that becomes your level of hard. All of us have hard to face. All of us have growth to face, but it's going to be different. It's always different each client. I have some clients that are 
amazing. They go at such a pace. It makes me have to elevate myself to level up and go, gosh, I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job. And then I'll look back and go, hey, you didn't help me get my money back, right? I, go, I don't want to have that happen. So how do I elevate? That could be that version of hard. The very next hour, I could have a different client that I got to nudge them and push them and pull them along. And that's that version of hard for that client. But all these situations, they make me better. And the thing is, is the clients become our sharpening tool. The people I'm working with, how I show up, it allows me to become a better human being every single time I'm showing up for them because of what they need me to kind of pull out of myself. And all of us are doing it, to be honest, in my opinion, one is to make a great living doing it, right? To be able to support your family, have freedom, but also to make a really good fulfilling impact in the world. And there's a way that I look at identity, which is a simple concept, but I found to be true, which is you cannot attain or sustain a life above your current identity. And so there could be a certain level of freedom you have, of income you have, of clientele you have. But you have to be a certain identity to have that. There's certain habits associated, actions associated, mindset, framing, network connections, a certain level of how you have to instinctually operate at an identity level to have that thing. And all these moments with your clients are shaping you to become that identity. So every time you're with a client, they make it difficult, they make it hard, and you get frustrated that's just a moment that you get an opportunity to be in better or to stay the same. So when I work with clients, it becomes a thing where I'm noticing, like I get into situations, they're complaining. I go, look, this is just a moment for you to be getting better. You tell me you want to have 50 clients. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do. Well, imagine like holding 50 logs. If you want to hold 50 logs one day, but you're way too tired at 10, how are you ever going to hold 50? They go, oh, you're right. I go, yeah. So we got to find out how to hold 10, breathe, normalize. Put 11 on, put 12 on. What does it look? Do you have to get help to hold the other ones? What does it look like? So these are the growing pains that all coaches have to understand are the true benefit to them, even if it's a super frustration right now. I love how you had that little microcosm of steps in there. You do the task that seems hard, you breathe, you normalize, and then you take the next step. And I think a lot of people, they forget that breathe and normalize part. And they just mm -hmm. push to the next thing, push to the next thing, push to the next thing. And that's where frustration or burnout can come into play. Yeah, yeah. But when we do that hard task with the perspective of how it's moving us in the direction we want to go, mm -hmm. breathe, normalize. I love that. Give us an example of normalize. So let's say, for example, I have exactly 10 clients, right? I got these 10 clients are driving me insane. I get two hours a day and Susan over here and Nick over here and I'm freaking out and like, and I'm complaining to my friends, all stuff's going on. Well, my mind is in a space of what I call pity party. I'm complaining about them and doing this. And all the time I've been telling people, I want to have an amazing, successful business of 50 clients. If I'm freaking out, I'm never going to want to add more. And here's the interesting thing. Most people will have this thing like, well, my business isn't growing. And I sit with them and I go, well, well, let's talk about your business. And they start complaining about clients. And I go, it's interesting. So it feels like to me, if I was to add more clients, I'd add more headaches, right? They go, well, possibly, yeah. And I go, yeah, well, it sounds like you feel like there'd be a headache. So is there a possibility that subconsciously you want to avoid headaches? So you avoid adding clients. So it's diminishing your ability to make more revenue. And I go, oh, I go, yeah. So what we got to do is get you to find a way to enjoy these clients. And the way you enjoy a client is you find out what they need to help them win. You have actual conversations or you fire clients, right? And so for me, when I say breathe and normalize, it's take a pause in that moment and take a look at the now and go, how do I make these relationships, because they are relationships, how do I make them enjoyable? What does each individual person need to, to have me enjoy showing up? Do I need to talk with them differently? Do I need to get clear of the air? Do I need to get rid of them? Do I, what do I need to do to make this engagement joyful? Because if it's joyful, I go, gosh, 
I love showing up for two hours. I want to show up for three hours a day. Now your mind and heart will move towards adding more clientele to your business. You can go ahead and make 50% more revenue if you add another hour to your day, right? But most people don't realize that there's that energy that we have inside that if we don't enjoy this, we actually become the hindrance to our growth because we don't want the emotional connection to more clients that are more headaches. In your experience, what are some of the recurring roadblocks that tend to keep people from really going for it, living their dreams, creating the outcomes that they want? Oh, man, that's the age old fear of failure. I think people think it's a failure of, of like money or failing a client. I don't think that's it. I think in my opinion, when I look at the people who struggle, it's more so a failure in the direction of client success. So most people, when they start coaching clients, they don't always have a process or a system or a methodology. And there's an actual fear of getting on the next call, a little bit of like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hopping and winging, hope I figure something out. And then I also think there's a time where a lot of people want to get in and do it full time, but they don't trust they're going to make full time revenue. And I think they don't think they're going to make full time revenue because they don't have a system for the business, but also they don't know for sure that they'll do what it needs to be done to make it consistent. They get on feast or famine months. And that, so I had a client tell me one time, she goes, I want to start a daily podcast, but I'm not consistent like you, Anthony. Therefore, I don't think I'm ever going to start it. I go, it's interesting. So you think I started it because I was consistent? She goes, yeah. I go, no, I started it because I wanted to be more consistent. I built this thing to allow me to be shaped to it. So I promised myself a commitment and I held up to the commitment. So when I look at people to go, I want to build an amazing business, their fear typically is around creating consistent income. And it's not that you're not going to make it. It's that you may not believe that you will do what needs to be done to create the consistent income. Meaning, will you put yourself out and make the hard ass for marketing? Will you do the sales you have to do? Will you create the process? Will you scale and hire somebody else when needed? Because most people, there's a fear around delegation. These little nuances are pieces where when you start extrapolating, they go, I've never done that. It's going to be, I know you've never done it. That's how it works. But you go and you commit to doing it. You find out how to get it done. And now little by little, you start building this business. So there's not this fear of failing. And I think there's a bigger fear too of like being able to go back to a job or moving with their parents that didn't figure out, you know, or like my wife or husband leave me because I'm not making money. And I've had that fear. My wife one time gave me the ultimatum of consistent income or quit this career. And I navigated it. I just had to lean in and go, well, I got to find a way. And I did scarily go into these things. But I think a lot of people's fear ties around, can I actually deliver on the promise? I want to take people's money and not deliver a promise. And can I make this business consistent? Yeah. Any other hidden roadblocks that lurk kind of there that you've experienced? You know, this is going to be an interesting one. I think some people don't do their own work. There's a lot of coaches that I've run into that you'll find out what they do and find that's not who they are behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's not always fun for me to find it. Yeah. For me, I preach the dark work so I can come and talk to this stuff with a true sense of comfort. Because a lot of, uh, we'll call it coaches, talk to this idea of what they call imposter syndrome, right? Which I think is genuine. And then I, I'm a former athlete, so I connected to this area here. And here's what I've noticed is I never have seen a high-level athlete. You know, you're never going to see a Kobe Bryant, a Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, a Serena Williams. You're never going to see these people on game day walk out there and go, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. I just, you know. But in fact, their energy is let me loose. Why don't they have the imposter syndrome? It's because of all the dark work they did. The hours and hours they did the work they talk about, they're behind the scenes getting after it. And so I've noticed the people that I work with that are the coaches that'll get in there and go, I've got you. 
I know I'm going to get you results. I know you're going to have success. They can push harder because they know two things. One, they know their process works because they've done it on themselves and other people. But two, they know they've done that work. There's a deep rooted confidence. So I think some coaches who have the imposter syndrome, who struggle, they haven't done enough work in the dark that was hard and difficult. So they're battling. If I invest in a business, I want a return. I expect that. I get mad if I don't get it. And so when you do invest, you fight for the return. The return in our personal work is confidence, self-esteem, and the ability to launch and push and scream from the mountaintops how great our program is. So when I find coaches who struggle, there's a fear of pushing out. When I really poke in deep enough, they're not doing the work they're talking about because they haven't done the work to make sure it's dialed in. Yeah. And that's what I find with confidence. I love that you're talking about that because with a lot of the newer coaches that we work with, you know, they want to feel more confident and they think that they have to wait for the confidence to show up before they can go out and do the thing. And we often talk about, no, 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 it's the other way around. You have to feel awkward. You have to do the new things. You have to be uncomfortable, work through that, move through that, elevate through that. And then the confidence comes. How else do you work with your clients to build that sense of confidence? We do the dark work. That's literally what we are built on. And everybody's work is different. So we do what's called a dark work experience. The reason we call it an experience is because experience is the only thing that wires you neurologically and psychologically at an identity level. It's what you've experienced. So when we work with people, we go, where do you lack that confidence? And I'll find out where it is and go, okay, great. Well, we need to do some things that are, like you said, I call them unconfident actions. What's the unconfident thing you have to do with full energy that in time will lead us to the destination of you having confidence? The first time you do something, it's uncomfortable. You suck at it. When I tried football for the first time, I was horrible at it, right? And you have what I call a 10 of 10 of emotional pain. Like, this is horrible. I don't want to do this anymore. And a lot of us make really good excuses to just avoid that situation in the future. And then some magical people, they go in there and go, you know what? I learned something. I'm going to try it again. And all your friends go, what do you mean? Are you stupid? Are you masochistic? Why would you do that? You sucked at that. I know, but I learned something. You do it again. It's a 9.5 of pain. And they go, look, I told you, you suck. Don't do that. You just quit. And you go, yeah, but I learned something. I go, you're going to do it again? Yeah, I'm going to do it again. What is wrong with you? And you do it again. That's a nine. And you keep on doing this, right? And it goes to an eight, to a seven, to a six. Eventually it gets to a one, and then you get to a zero. And most people go, oh, it's painless. I go, no, it's not painless. It's joy. Because you know the battle you went through. You know the journey you went on. There's this emanating, oozing joy from you to do that thing. In the business world, it's like, okay, I'm going to try this, but what if I go and no one, I'm going to try a program. I'm going to launch this and man, nobody bought. Gosh, I'm done. Somebody else goes, oh, well, they didn't join the program because this little nuance here. And then you got to do it again. And they get to that zero level and they have a complete different sense of what the emotion is from when they started. First, it was like a no clients and it sucked and I wanted to quit. And I God, why should I do this? Now they can't wait to launch their program again. It's a whole different energy that comes out of them but they had to traverse that downward slope. Most people get off the slope too early. And so for me, when I work with clients, I'm trying to get them through that slope. We're going to try it. It's going to suck. You're going to have points where you want to quit. You're going to have a lot of reasons why you think logically you should. But that gift at the end of joy only come to those who actually are worth are going to do the investment, which is the time, the energy, the emotion, the possible failure. When you invest, you get to earn that level of joy. Mm, I love that. I love how you break it down into not even going from a 10 to a 9, but a 10 to a 9.5 to a 9 to an 8.5 and just really putting it in perspective. And I also, for the listeners of this show, they hear me say this all the time. This journey cannot be done alone. I think it is a rare human being that can 
make this journey isolated by themselves alone. And that's why, you know, having that coach, being in a community is so vital for those moments where the outside world is getting really loud about, that sucks, that's horrible. Why are you doing that? You you shouldn't keep going. But we need those people that are just one degree louder saying, yes, let's just take the next step. What'd you learn? Let's keep going. Here we go. And it's vital for doing that. Now, you've shared with us some of the things to keep moving and traversing that motivation. It changes over time. What are some other techniques or habits that you might recommend to clients that keep that motivation going as they're on that downward journey? I don't know if motivation comes into the picture, actually, Mm. as often. Say more about that. A lot of the days I'm not motivated to get, I'm not motivated to get out of the bed every day. There's not a motivation there, but there's a commitment to how I want to be. But here's the thing. The word discipline is kind of the one that I think I like to weave in because we're trying to be disciplined in a way in our life. And there's two ways you could be disciplined. One's good. One's not so good. One is you have an emotion, motivation, be an emotion. And I can go, I'm going to be disciplined to the emotion. I want to do it. I'm going to get after it. But one day you're going to wake up and an emotion's not going to be there. You're not going to feel like getting out of bed. And so if you're disciplined to an emotion, when the emotion leaves, the discipline leaves. And so for me, I go, I'm not going to be disciplined to an emotion. I want to be disciplined to a plan. Like the word disciple, and I think it means to follow and plan kind of like means plan. So discipline means to follow a plan. And so I go, well, if I have a plan in place that I've structured, my goal is to forget my feelings. Some will say F your feelings, right? And follow the plan. I think Kobe Bryant, he he said it one time in a really kind of eloquent, simple way. He goes, I made a contract with myself and I will not break my contract. And so what he says is my contract, which essentially is the plan. This is what I'm going to do. And regardless if I feel like it or not, here's what I'm going to do. Now, when I work with clients, I explain this to them and make sure it's clear to them. And I go, we're going to create this plan. And our job is to work the plan. I don't care how you feel. You hired me to make sure you don't steer from the plan. So when you try to make me you know, feel bad for your day or whatever it is, I go, look, you can choose whatever you want, but I'm not going to feel bad for your day because you get to have excuses or your dream, but you don't get to have both. You can have the excuse, and if it gets bigger than the dream, the dream dies. And my job is to move you through this plan. Now, what we do is make sure the plan is one that you genuinely are bought into. It's a big piece of it too. If there's a plan in place that you didn't co-create, you don't buy into it. You'll just flat out quit because you go, I don't even know why I'm doing this. But if you've done the right work to figure out the extrapolation of what this plan's going to do for your life, and you know it's going to be great, you'll stay on. They'll go through that. They'll follow the plan even when they don't feel like following the plan. Because emotion will, I mean, it'll drive you maybe 5% of it. But though 95% is just sheer discipline and following what the plan is because it needs to be followed. Now, apart from the aspects that we've already talked about, what other unique elements or insights can clients expect to explore and learn when they work with you? Oh, it's a fun one. What I realize is we all have an aspirational life we want to live, right? There's a certain kind of house you want to have, certain material objects, certain relationships you want to have. And I did mention earlier, you can't attain or sustain that without, you know, having an identity at that level. So if it's above your identity, you won't do what it takes to get it. And if you do get it by accident, you won't do what it takes to sustain that. And so what I look at when I talk to people is I go, we're going to chart this path. We're going to lay it all out. The things that I'm going to ask you to do, you're going to be asked to do by yourself, are not going to feel normal to you. In fact, they're going to feel like it's like you're in somebody else's skin because the identity that has what you have is not your current identity. You're going to be taking a lot of out of character action. And they go, what do you mean out of character? I don't want to be out of character. I go, you don't? Oh, why? And they go, it's, that's a negative thing. I go, is it? I go, well, if you're out of character, bad. Yeah. But what does it mean to step into a higher level of you? I go, it's a higher out of character, right? 
oh yeah, I go, so we do want to take out of character actions, but in the direction of a positive character. So realize the things you're going to have to do are things you'd never think you'd do in a million years. You would even consider these things you're about to do, but because you haven't done them or do them like consistently, why haven't got what you want to get? So as we go through this journey, I'm trying to find things that make your skin crawl. I'm trying to find things that make your belly just go, oh, I don't want to do that. And I'm not doing it just to subject you to it for no reason. I'm doing it because what you want requires that. And at one point, you'll get to the point level where it just becomes normal to do it. And then I take them back and I go, let's think about 18-year-old you. If 18-year-old you was to show up in your life right now, could they handle it? And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, could they handle the regimen, the day, the, the kids, the wife? They go, oh, probably not. And I go, exactly. They couldn't, right? So think about it. But you're here now, aren't you? Yeah. Well, you've already done this before. Oh, I have. Yeah, you have. But you did it one of two ways. One way was on demand. Other way is when crap hits the fan. 95% of people do when crap hits the fan. And I go, this might be the first time we get to actually live your life the way you want intentionally. It's going to be hard still, but we're going to do it on demand. We're going to craft that person. We're going to design this plan. And so as we go into it, it's going to be out of character, but it's going to be something that you intentionally are doing, not because everything's on the line and your back's against the wall. And so when we can lean into that kind of energy, we'll call it, it makes it easier for them to step into it. And then outside of that, the journey that we're going through for me is it's also celebration of every step. I, I don't like when people go through a journey they're only happy at the end because what happens is they live this roller coaster life of emotion where they're only happy when they've arrived. And it's kind of like when you think about climbing a mountain, you spend way less time at the peak than you do climbing it. So if you can learn to fall in love with the climb, life's going to be amazing. And so when I work with my clients, my goal is to get them to fall in love with the day, not just the destination. How can you love the morning? How can you love the afternoon? How can you love, now you're doing things that move you somewhere. And yes, some are hard, but how do I get you to love that? How do I make it like a desire? When I used to play football, I loved going to the weight room. I knew it was going to be a crazy, I used to like weird, like palpable. I knew I was going to hate it, but I loved that I hated the workout. It was going to test me. I was going to be sweaty. I was going to be hungry. I might cramp up. I'm going to leave with dirt all over my body. But like that feeling of just, oh, right. It makes you feel something different. And when you can do that in your life and you love that, you're untouchable. No one else can compete with you and anything you want becomes within reach. And when people all the time say, you got to work hard, like you see famous people always say, it's just hard work. They never really get to the, the minuscule in between piece of what that hard work is. And it really is this journey of having to do out of character stuff, having to stick to the plan, even though you don't feel like sticking to the plan and gritting it out. Sometimes it's falling in love with the moments of gritting it out because you love the day more than just the destination. I love it. I want to summarize some of the things that we've talked about today. I know that you and I could probably spend days going into this topic. And some of the stuff that we've covered so far, we kicked off by, you gave us a great distinction between the dark work that we're talking about versus the shadow work. How do we navigate that? And really that's about the behind the scenes, the work that you do once you know what the shadow work is, but it's often done behind closed doors. People don't see that, but it's the day-to-day, -day, the moment-to-moment -moment actions that you take. We talked about how when we work with our clients, you broke it down. It's hard in the beginning, it's messy in the middle, and it's beautiful in the end. And as coaches, we have to constantly remind our clients where they are in the journey, what they're working towards. We talked about how we've got to prepare our clients for this in advance at the very beginning of working with them so that they know what the journey is going to be like. And our job is to focus on that single step, focus on this day. You talked about how um, 
you know, as the coach, if we're experiencing the dark work that we're doing in our own world and we're working with our clients, like we've got to remove the emotion. I really liked that. I'm a process and systems girl too. And so I loved it when you talked about going back to what's my process, what's the plan that I'm working with the client and focus on them. And as our clients and even ourselves hit those moments, the phrase that you gave that I just, I really loved was, this is just a moment for you to get better. Are you going to take this moment and get better and keep going on that journey? You talked a lot about the identity and how to be of identity and to change our identity and to grow into that new identity because you can't attain or sustain a life above your current identity. And we even got into doing that out of character stuff, the out of character good stuff that leads us to developing and building that new identity. And you really broke down when it comes to creating that new level of identity, do that task at hand that feels hard or messy breathe, normalize it, then take the next step. And I love how you really got into the nitty gritty of the normalize, which is really just take a pause, look at the now, and how do I make this enjoyable? I think that is such a powerful question for ourselves, for us to ask our clients. We even got into some of the common roadblocks, the fear of failure, you broke that down for us. Fear of delegation, you kind of threw that one in there. And a lot of times it's because we don't do our own work. We have to walk the talk. It was one of the first things that my very first coach told me. She's like, you can never ask your clients to do something that you haven't done or aren't willing to do yourself. And that resonated and rung true. And so for the past 20 some years, I've been working with clients. That integrity piece is so vital. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there that are missing it. And I'm really glad that you brought that into the conversation. We even got into confidence talking about those unconfident actions. I love how you reframed that to the, instead of it being uncomfortable, just the unconfident. And you gave us that downward path, although the downward is not bad, but we decrease that emotional pain. The opposite of pain is not painless, but it's that oozing joy and getting into that place. And you gave us an amazing distinction. When I brought up the topic of motivation, you're like, mm, nope, it's not motivation. Commitment has to be there. And then discipline and the discipline, the good kind of discipline, not being disciplined to the emotion, but being disciplined to a plan. And you really spoke a lot about how do we help our clients fall in love with the journey, fall in love with the day and not just let it be about the destination. Oh my gosh, Anthony, do you have any more parting words for our audience? I think the thing that I would say is take one of the things I said and apply them. I said, it's going to be very hard for you to put all these things in there, but find the one. And when you're trying to go, which one do I take? Take the one that your brain goes, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I heard a video recently by a guy named Inky Johnson. He says, greatness is on the other side of, I don't want to do it. And it's true. Whatever that thing is, there's a reason your brain connected to that specific thing. Because it may not be something I would see the same. I may be like, oh, I'll do that. But something else might be an, I don't want to do it thing. But it's because we all have different things to do to be great. And so whatever your brain heard today and you go, I don't want to do that. And just because of the uncomfort, the discomfort you feel with it, that's the entire reason you choose that thing. I love it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a giant thank you to Anthony for this incredible conversation. You can find out more about him at anthonytrucks.com. That's anthonytrucks.com. In the show notes, you'll find links to his podcasts, Aw Shift Podcast and Shift Starter Daily Podcast and other amazing resources that he has. Anthony, thank you so much for coming to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. 
Just Between Coaches is part of the Mayor CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab and Self-Awakened Lifestyle. Mishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her. Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer and Danny Innie is our executive producer. If you want to listen to upcoming and previous great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might be listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you and see you next time. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.